0: Chapter seven part two of the life of David Brainerd by john STYLES This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter seven part two Lord's day, august twenty fifth. I preached in the forenoon from luke chapter fifteen verses three through seven. There being a multitude of white people present, I made an address to them at the close of my disclosure but could not so much as keep them orderly, for scores of them kept walking and gazing about and behaved more indecently than any Indians I ever addressed. Afterwards, I baptized twenty-five persons of the Indians, fifteen adults, and ten children. Most of the adults, I have reason to hope, are renewed persons. Only the case of two or three appeared more doubtful. After the crowd of spectators was gone, I called the baptized persons together and discoursed to them in particular, mindful of the solemn obligations they were under to live to God, and encouraged them to watchfulness and devotion by setting before them the comfort and happy conclusion of a religious life. This was a sweet season indeed. Their hearts were engaged and cheerful in duty, and they rejoiced that they had in a public and solemn manner dedicated themselves to God. Love seemed to reign among them. They took each other by the hand with tenderness and affection, as if their hearts were knit together, while I was discoursing to them, and all their deportment towards each other was such that a serious spectator might justly be excited to cry out with admiration, behold how they love one another. Sundry of the other Indians at seeing and hearing these things were much affected and wept bitterly, longing to be partakers of the same joy and comfort that these discovered by their countenances as well as conduct. 26th. I preached to my people from John chapter 6, verses 51 and 55. After I had discoursed some time, I addressed those in particular who entertained hopes that they were passed from death to life. I opened to them the persevering nature of those consolations Christ gives his people, showed them that such have already the beginnings of eternal life, verse 54, and that their heaven shall be speedily completed. I no sooner began to discourse, but the Christians in the congregation began to be melted with affection to, and desire of, the enjoyment of Christ, and of a state of perfect purity. They wept affectionately and yet joyfully, and their tears and sobs discovered brokenness of heart, and yet were attended with comfort and sweetness, so that this was a tender, affectionate, humble, delightful melting, and appeared to be the genuine effect of the spirit of adoption, and very far from the spirit of bondage that they before labored under. The influence spread from these through the whole assembly, and there quickly appeared a wonderful concern among them. Many who had not yet found Christ were surprisingly engaged in seeking after him. Their number was now about ninety-five persons, and almost all affected either with joy in Christ or with the utmost concern to obtain an interest in him. Being convinced it was now my duty to take a journey far back to the Indians on Susquehanna River, after having spent some hours in public and private discourses with my people, I told them that I must leave them for the present and go to their brethren far remote and preach to them, that I wanted the Spirit of God should go with me, without whom nothing could be done to any good purpose, as they themselves had an opportunity to see and asked them if they would not spend the remainder of the day in prayer for me, that God would go with me and succeed my endeavors. They cheerfully complied with the motion, and soon after I left them, the sun being then about one hour and a half high, they began and continued praying all night until break of day, never mistrusting, they told me, till they went out and saw the morning star a considerable height, that it was later than common bedtime. There were, I trust, this day two distressed souls brought to the enjoyment of solid comfort. Likewise this day an old Indian, who has all his days been an obstinate idolater, was brought to give up his rattles, which they use for music in their idolatrous feasts and dances, to the other Indians, who quickly destroyed them. And this without any attempt of mine in the affair, I having said nothing to him about it so that it was the power of God's word without any particular application to this sin that produced this effect. Thus God has begun, and thus he has hitherto carried on a work of grace amongst these Indians. May the glory be ascribed to him who is the sole author of it. The next day he set out on a journey towards the Forks of Delaware, designing to go from hence to Susquehanna before he returned across Weeksung, it was five days from his departure from Crossweek Sung before he reached the forks, going round by the way of Philadelphia to get a recommendation from him to the chiefs of the Indians Forks of Delaware, Lord's Day, September first, I preached to the Indians here from Luke chapter fourteen, verses sixteen through twenty three Afterwards, I preached to a number of white people and observed many of them in tears, and some who had been formerly as careless and unconcerned about religion as the Indians. Towards night, I discoursed to the Indians again and perceived a great attention, and more visible concern among them than has been usual in these parts. Third, I preached to the Indians from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 6. The divine presence was in the midst of the assembly, and a considerable concern spread among them. Sundry persons were awakened, among whom were two stupid creatures that I could scarce ever before keep awake while I was discoursing to them. Fourth, I rode fifteen miles to an Irish settlement and preached there, from Luke chapter 14 verse 22, and yet there is room. God was pleased to afford me some tenderness and enlargement in the first prayer, and much freedom as well as warmth in the sermon. There were many tears in the assembly, the people of God seemed to melt, and others to be in some measure awakened. Blessed be the Lord that lets me see his work going on in one place and another. Fifth, I discoursed to the Indians from the parable of the sower, and afterwards conversed with sundry persons which occasioned them to weep, and even to cry out in an affecting manner, and seized others with surprise and concern. Several of these had been with me to Crossweek Sung, and some of them felt the power of God's word. I asked one of them why he now cried, He replied, When he thought how Christ was slain like a lamb and spilt his blood for sinners, he could not help crying, and thereupon burst out into tears and cries again. I then asked his wife, who likewise had been abundantly comforted, wherefore she cried. She answered, She was grieved that the Indians here would not come to Christ as well as those at Crossweek Song. I asked her if she found a heart to pray for them, and whether Christ had been near to her of late in prayer as in the time past. Which is my usual method of expressing a sense of the divine presence. She replied, Yes, he had been near to her, and that at some times when she had been praying alone, her heart loved to pray so that she could not bear to leave the place, but wanted to stay and pray longer. Lord's Day, eighth. I discoursed to the Indians in the forenoon from John chapter twelve verses forty four through fifty, in the afternoon from Acts chapter two verses thirty six to thirty nine. The Word of God seemed to fall with weight and influence upon them. Most of them were in tears and cried out under distressing concern for their souls. One man was awakened who never before discovered any concern for his soul. There appeared a remarkable work of the Spirit among them, not unlike what has been of late at Crossweeksum. It seemed as if the divine influence had spread from thence to this place. Sundry of the careless white people now present were startled seeing the power of God so prevalent among the Indians. I then made a particular address to them, which seemed to make some impression upon them. In the evening God was pleased to enlarge me in prayer and give me freedom at the throne of grace. I cried to God for the enlargement of his kingdom in the world and particularly among my dear people, and was enabled to pray for many dear ministers of my acquaintance both in these parts and in New England. My soul was so engaged in that sweet exercise that I knew not how to leave the mercy seat. I saw God was both able and willing to do all that I desired for myself and friends and his church in general. And afterwards, when I was just going to bed, God helped me to renew my petitions with ardency and freedom. September 9th. I left the Indians in the forks of Delaware and set out on a journey towards Susquehanna River, directing my course towards the Indian town more than 120 miles westward from the forks. Thirteenth, after having lodged out three nights, I arrived at the Indian town on Susquehanna called Shamoking, one of the places I visited in May last and was kindly received by the indians but had little satisfaction by reason of the heathenish dance they then held in the house where i was obliged to lodge which i could not suppress though i often entreated them to desist for the sake of one of their own friends who was sick in the house this town lies partly on the east side of the river partly on the west and partly on a large island in it and contains upwards of fifty houses and near three hundred persons but of three different tribes of Indians speaking three languages wholly unintelligible to each other. About one half of its inhabitants are Delaware's, the others called Seneca's and Tutela's. The Indians of this place are counted the most drunken, mischievous, and ruffianly fellows of any in these parts, and Satan seems to have his seat in this town in an eminent manner. September 14th. I visited the Delaware king, Who was supposed to be at the point of death when I was here in May last, but was now recovered, and discoursed with him and others respecting Christianity, and spent the afternoon with them, and had more encouragement than I expected. The king appeared kindly disposed, and willing to be instructed. This gave me some encouragement that God would open an effectual door for my preaching the gospel here. This was a refreshment to me in the wilderness, and rendered my solitary circumstances comfortable and pleasant. In the evening my soul was enlarged in prayer, especially that God would set up his kingdom in this place where the devil now reigns. My soul cried, Lord, set up thy kingdom for thine own glory. Glorify thyself, and I shall rejoice. Get honor to thy blessed name, and this is all I desire. Do with me just what thou wilt. Blessed be thy name forever, that thou art God, and that thou wilt glorify thyself. Oh that the whole world might glorify thee! O let these poor people be brought to know thee and love thee, for the glory of thy ever-blessed name. Lord's Day, September 15th. I visited the chief of the Delawares again and discoursed to the Indians in the afternoon. I hoped that God would open their hearts to receive the gospel, though many of them in the place were so drunk from day to day that I could get no opportunity to speak to them. September 16th. I spent the forenoon with the Indians, endeavoring to instruct them from house to house, and to engage them to be friendly to Christianity. Towards night, I went to a part of town where they were sober, and got together near fifty persons. There was a surprising attention among them, and they manifested a desire of being further instructed. There was also one or two that seemed to be touched, who appeared pleased with some conversation in private, after I had concluded my public discourse. My spirit was much refreshed, and I could not but return with my interpreter, having no other companion in this journey, to my poor hard lodgings, rejoicing in the hope that God designed to set up his kingdom here, and found uncommon freedom in addressing the throne of grace for the accomplishment of so glorious a work. Seventeenth, I spent the forenoon in discoursing to the Indians. About noon I left Shawmoking, most of the Indians going out this day to hunt, and traveled down the river southwestward. 19th. I visited an Indian town called Junota, situate on an island in Susquehanna. I was much discouraged with the behavior of the Indians here, although they appeared friendly when I was with them last spring. Yet they now seemed resolved to retain their pagan notions and persist in their idolatrous practices. 20th. I visited the Indians again at Junotaw Island and found them busy in making preparations for a great sacrifice and dance, so I had no opportunity to get them together in order to discourse with them about Christianity. My spirits were much sunk, especially as I had now no interpreter but a pagan who was as much attached to idolatry as any of them, so that I was under the greatest disadvantages imaginable. However, I attempted to discourse privately with some of them, but without any appearance of success. In the evening they met together, near an hundred of them, and danced round a large fire, having prepared ten fat deer for the sacrifice. The fat of those inwards they burnt in the fire while they were dancing, and at some times raised the flame to a prodigious height, at the same time yelling and shouting in such a manner that they might have been heard two miles or more. They continued their sacred dance all night, after which they eat the flesh of the sacrifice, and retired each to his lodging. I enjoyed little satisfaction this night, being entirely alone on the island, as to any Christian company, and in the midst of this idolatrous revel, and having walked to and fro till body and mind were much oppressed, I at length crept into a little crib made for corn, and there slept on the poles. Lord's Day, September 21st I spent the day with the Indians on the island. As soon as they were up in the morning, I attempted to instruct them and labored to get them together, but quickly found that they had something else to do, for they gathered together all their powwows, or conjurers, and set about half a dozen of them to playing their tricks and acting their frantic postures, in order to find out why they were so sickly, numbers of them being at that time disordered with a fever and bloody flux. In this they were engaged for several hours, making all the wild distracted motions imaginable, sometimes singing, sometimes howling, sometimes extending their hands to the utmost stretch, spreading all their fingers, and seemed to push with them as if they designed to fright something away, or at least keep it off at arm's end, sometimes stroking their faces with their hands, then spurting water as fine as mist, sometimes sitting flat on the earth, then bowing down their faces to the ground, wringing their sides as if in pain and anguish, twisting their faces, turning up their eyes, grunting or puffing. Their monstrous actions seemed to have something in them peculiarly suited to raise the devil, if he could be raised by anything odd and frightful. Some of them were much more fervent in the business than others, and seemed to chant, peep, and mutter with a great degree of warmth and vigor. I sat about thirty feet from them, though undiscovered, With my Bible in my hand, resolving if possible to spoil their sport and prevent their receiving any answers from the infernal world. They continued their hideous charms for more than three hours, until they had all wearied themselves out, although they had taken sundry intervals of rest, and at length broke up, I apprehend, without receiving any answer. After they had done powwowing, I attempted to discourse with them about Christianity, but they soon scattered and gave no opportunity. A view of these things, while I was entirely alone in the wilderness, destitute of the society of any one that so much as, quote, named the name of Christ, end quote, greatly sunk my spirits, so that I had no heart nor power to make any further attempts among them. The Indians of this island, many of them understand the English language, having formerly lived in Maryland near the white people, but are very vicious, drunken, and profane, although not so savage as those who have less acquaintance with the English. Their method of charming or conjuring over the sick seems somewhat different from that of other Indians, and the whole of it perhaps is an imitation of what seems, by Naaman's expression, Second Kings chapter five verse eleven, to have been the custom of the ancient heathens. For it chiefly consists in their striking their hands over the diseased, repeatedly stroking of them, and calling upon their gods excepting their spurting of water and some other frantic ceremonies common to the other conjurations. When I was in these parts in May last, I had an opportunity of learning many of the customs of the Indians. I then, traveling 130 miles upon the river above the English settlements, and had in that journey a view of persons of seven or eight distinct tribes, speaking so many different languages. But of all the sights I ever saw among them, None appeared so near akin to what is usually imagined of infernal powers as the appearance of one who was a devout and zealous reformer, or rather restorer, of what he supposed was the ancient religion of the Indians. He made his appearance in his pontifical garb, which was a coat of bearskins dressed with the hair on and hanging down to his toes, a pair of bearskin stockings and a great wooden face, painted the one half black and the other tawny, about the color of an Indian's skin. With an extravagant mouth cut very much awry, the face fastened to a bearskin cap which was drawn over his head. He advanced toward me with the instrument in his hand that he used for music in his idolatrous worship, which was a dry tortoise shell with some corn in it, and the neck of it drawn on a piece of wood, which made a very convenient handle. As he came forward, he beat his tune with the rattle and danced with all his might, but did not suffer any part of his body not so much as his fingers to be seen, and no man would have guessed by his appearance that he could have been a human creature. When he came near me, I could not but shrink away from him, although it was then noonday and I knew who it was. His appearance and gestures were so frightful. He had a house consecrated to religious uses with diverse images cut out upon the several parts of it. I went in and found the ground beat almost as hard as a rock with their frequent dancing. I discoursed with him about Christianity, and some of my discourse he seemed to like, but some of it he disliked entirely. He told me that God had taught him his religion, and that he never would turn from it, but wanted to find some that would join heartily with him in it, for the Indians, he said, were grown very degenerate. He had thoughts of leaving all his friends and traveling abroad in order to find some that would join with him, for he believed God had some good people somewhere that felt as he did. He had not always, he said, felt as he now did, but had formerly been like the rest of the Indians, until four or five years ago. Then, he said, his heart was very much distressed, so that he could not live among the Indians, but got away into the woods and lived alone for some months. At length, he says, God showed him what he should do, and since that time he has known God and tried to serve him and loved all men, be they who they would, so as he never did before. He treated me with uncommon courtesy and seemed to be hearty in it. I was told by the Indians that he opposed their drinking strong liquors with all his power, and if at any time he could not persuade them from it, he would leave them and go crying into the woods. It was manifest he had a set of religious notions that he had looked into for himself, and not taken for granted upon bare tradition, and he relished or disrelished whatever was spoken of a religious nature according as it either agreed or disagreed with his standard. While I was discoursing, he would sometimes say, now that I like, so God has taught me. And some of his sentiments seemed very just. Yet he utterly denied the being of a devil and declared there was no such a creature known among the Indians of old times. He likewise told me that departed souls all went southward and that the difference between the good and bad was this. That the former were admitted into a beautiful town with spiritual walls, or walls agreeable to the nature of souls, and that the latter would forever hover round those walls and in vain attempt to get in. He seemed to be sincere, honest, and conscientious in his own way, which was more than ever I saw in any other pagan, and I perceived he was looked upon and derided amongst most of the Indians as a precise zealot. I must say there was something in his temper that looked more like true religion than anything I ever observed among other heathens. September 22nd. I made some further attempts to instruct the Indians on this island, but all to no purpose. They live so near the white people that they are always in the way of strong liquor, as well as the ill examples of nominal Christians, which renders it unspeakably difficult to treat with them about Christianity. Next day, he left the Indians in order to his return to the Forks of Delaware, in a very weak state of body and under dejection of mind, which continued the two first days of his journey. September 26, I was still much disordered in body and able to ride, but slowly. I continued my journey, however. Near night, I arrived at the Irish settlement about 15 miles from my own house. I was much exercised with a sense of my barrenness and verily thought there was no creature that had any true grace, but what was more spiritual and fruitful than I? I could not think that any of God's children made so poor a hand of living to God as I. Forks of Delaware October 1st. I discoursed to the Indians here and afterwards invited them to accompany or to follow me down to Cross Weeksung, as soon as their conveniency would admit which invitation sundry of them cheerfully accepted. Fifth, I preached to my people at Cross Week Sung from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. The divine presence seemed to be in the assembly. Numbers were affected and some comforted. Oh, what a difference there is between these and the Indians upon Susquehanna. To be with those seemed like being banished from God and all his people. To be with these, like being admitted into his family, and to the enjoyment of his presence how great is the change lately made upon these indians who not many months ago were as thoughtless and averse to christianity as those upon susquehanna lords day october 6th i preached in the forenoon from john chapter 10 verses 7 through 11 there was a considerable melting among my people the young christians were comforted and strengthened and one or two persons newly awakened In the afternoon I discoursed on the story of the jailer, Acts chapter 16, and in the evening expounded Acts chapter 20 verses 1 through 12. There was at this time a melting through the whole assembly. There was scarce a dry eye to be seen among them, and nothing but what tended to encourage and excite a Christian ardor and spirit of devotion. After public service I withdrew and the Indians continued praying among themselves for near two hours together which exercises appeared to be attended with a blessed influence from on high. I could not but earnestly wish that the numbers of God's people had been present at this season to see and hear these things, which I am sure must refresh the hearts of every true lover of Zion. To see those who very lately were savage pagans and idolaters, quote, having no hope and without God in the world, end quote, now filled with a sense of divine love and grace and worshipping the quote, Father in spirit and in truth end quote, was not a little affecting and especially to see them so tender and humble as well as lively fervent and devout seventh being called by the church and people of East Hampton on long island as a member of a council to assist and advise in affairs of difficulty in that church I sat out on my journey this morning before it was well light and traveled to Elizabethtown. He prosecuted his journey with the other ministers that were sent for and did not return till October 24th. 24th. I discoursed from John chapter 4 verses 13 and 14. There was a great attention and an unaffected melting in the assembly. It is surprising to see how eager they are of hearing the word of God. I have often thought they would cheerfully attend divine worship twenty-four hours together. twenty-fifth. I discoursed to my people on the resurrection from Luke chapter twenty verses twenty-seven through thirty-six, and when I came to mention the blessedness the good shall enjoy at that season, their final freedom from death and sorrow, their equality to the angels, in regard of their nearness to and enjoyment of Christ, and their being the children of God openly acknowledged by him as such, I say when I mentioned these things, numbers of them were much affected and melted with a view of this blessed state. 26th, being called to assist in the administration of the Lord's Supper in a neighboring congregation, I invited my people to go with me, who embraced the opportunity cheerfully and attended the discourses of that solemnity with diligence and affection, most of them now understanding something of the English language. Lord's Day, October 27th. While I was preaching to a vast assembly of people abroad who appeared generally easy and secure enough, there was one Indian woman, a stranger, who never heard me preach before nor ever regarded anything about religion, being now persuaded by some of her friends to come, though much against her will, was seized with a pressing concern for her soul and soon after expressed a great desire of going home, more than 40 miles distant, to call her husband, that he also might have a concern for his soul. Some other of the Indians also appeared to be affected with divine truths this day. The pious people of the English, numbers of whom I had an opportunity to converse with, seemed refreshed with seeing the Indians worship God in that devout and solemn manner, and could not but glorify God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Twenty eighth. I discoursed from Matthew chapter 22 verses 1 through 13. I was enabled to adapt my discourse to the capacities of my people, I know not how, in a plain, easy, and familiar manner, beyond all that I could have done by the utmost study, and this with as much freedom as if I had been addressing a common audience who had been instructed in Christianity all their days. The word of God at this time seemed to fall upon the assembly with a divine power, especially toward the close of my discourse. There was both a sweet melting and bitter mourning in the audience. The Christians were refreshed and comforted, convictions revived in others, and sundry persons newly awakened who had never been with us before, and so much of the divine presence appeared in the assembly that it seemed, quote, this was no other than the gate of heaven, end quote. All that had any relish of divine things were even constrained to say, quote, Lord, it is good for us to be here. End quote. If there ever was among my people an appearance of the new Jerusalem quote, as a bride adorned for her husband, end quote, there was at this time. And so agreeable was the entertainment that I could scarcely tell how to leave the place. Lord's Day, November third. I baptized fourteen Indians, six adults and eight children. One of these was near fourscore years of age, and I have reason to hope God has brought her home to himself. Two of the others were men of fifty years old who had been singular even among the Indians for their wickedness. One of them had been a murderer, and both notorious drunkards, as well as excessive quarrelsome. But now I cannot but hope both are really changed. I deferred their baptism for many weeks that I might have more opportunities to observe the fruits of those impressions they had been under. Indeed, there was not one of the adults, but had given me grounds to hope that God had wrought a good work in their hearts. Fourth, there were sundry of the persons lately come from remoter places that were now brought under deep concern for their souls, particularly one who not long since came half drunk and railed on us and attempted to disturb us while engaged in divine worship, was so distressed that she seemed unable to get any ease without an interest in Christ. There were many tears and affectionate groans in the assembly in general, some weeping for themselves, others for their friends. And though persons are doubtless much easier affected now than they were in the beginning, to this religious concern, when tears and cries for their souls were things unheard of among them, yet their affection in general appeared genuine and unfeigned, and especially in those newly awakened." I baptized a child this day and perceived several of the baptized persons affected as being thereby reminded of their own solemn engagements. I have now baptized 47 persons of the Indians, 23 adults and 24 children, 35 of them belonging to these parts and the rest to the forks of Delaware. They have none of them as yet been a disgrace to their profession by any unbecoming behavior. Before I proceed, I would make a few remarks. And first it is remarkable that God began this work among the Indians at a time when I had the least prospect of seeing a work of grace among them my bodily strength being then much wasted by a tedious journey to Susquehanna my mind exceedingly depressed with a view of the unseasonableness of my labours had little reason to hope that God had made me instrumental of the saving conversion of any of the Indians whence I was ready to look upon myself as a burden to the society that employed me in this business I began to entertain serious thoughts of giving up my mission, and almost resolved I would do so at the conclusion of the present year, if I had then no better prospect in my work than I had hitherto had. In this frame of mind, I first visited these Indians at Crossweeksung, apprehending it was my duty to make some attempts for their conversion, though I cannot say I had any hopes of success. My spirits were now so extremely sunk. And yet this was the very season that God saw fit to begin this glorious work in, and thus he, quote, ordained strength out of weakness, end quote, by making bare his almighty arm at a time when all hopes and human probabilities most evidently failed. Whence I learned that it is good to follow the path of duty, though in the midst of darkness and discouragement secondly it is remarkable how god in a manner almost unaccountable called these indians together to be instructed and how he seized their minds with the most solemn concern as fast as they came to the place where his word was preached when i first came to these parts i found not one man at the place i visited but only four women and a few children but before i had been here many days they gathered from all quarters some from more than twenty miles distant, and when I made them a second visit some came more than forty miles to hear me. And many came without any intelligence of what was going on here, and consequently without any design, so much as to gratify their curiosity, so that it seemed as if God had summoned them together from all quarters to deliver his message to them. Nor is it less surprising that they were, one after another, affected with a solemn concern for their souls, almost as soon as they came upon the spot where divine truths were taught them. I could not but think their coming to this place was like Saul and his messengers coming among the prophets. And they no sooner came, but they prophesied. And these were almost as soon affected with a sense of their sin and misery, and with an earnest concern for deliverance, as they made their appearance in our assembly. After this work of grace began with power among them, it was common for strangers of the Indians, before they had been with us one day to be deeply convinced of their sin and misery and to inquire with great solicitude what they should do to be saved thirdly it is likewise remarkable how god preserved these poor ignorant indians from being prejudiced against me and the truths i taught them there were many attempts made by some of the white people to prejudice them against or fright them from christianity they sometimes told them the indians were well enough already that there was no need of all this noise about Christianity, that if they were Christians, they would be in no better, no safer or happier state than they were already. Sometimes they told them that I was a knave, a deceiver, that I daily taught them lies and had no other design but to impose upon them. And when none of these suggestions would avail, they told the Indians, my design was to gather together as large a body of them as I possibly could, and then sell them to England for slaves, quote. Nothing could be more likely to terrify the Indians, they being naturally of a jealous disposition and the most averse to a state of servitude, perhaps of any people living. But all these insinuations, through divine goodness, continually turned against the authors of them and only served to engage the affections of the Indians more firmly to me, for they could not but observe that the persons who endeavored to embitter their minds against me were altogether unconcerned about their own souls, and not only so, but vicious and profane, and thence could not but argue, that if they had no concern for their own, it was not likely they should have for the souls of others. It seems yet the more wonderful that the Indians were preserved from once hearkening to these suggestions, as I was an utter stranger among them, and could give them no assurance of my sincere affection by anything that was past, while the persons that insinuated these things were their old acquaintance, who had frequent opportunities of gratifying them with strong drink and consequently had the greatest interest in their affections. Fourthly, nor is it less wonderful how God was pleased to provide a remedy for my want of skill in the Indian language by remarkably fitting my interpreter for and assisting him in the performance of his work. It might be supposed I must labor under a vast disadvantage in addressing the Indians by an interpreter, and that divine truths would unavoidably lose much of their energy by coming to the audience from a second hand but although this has often been the case in times past when my interpreter had little sense of divine things yet now it is quite otherwise i cannot think my addresses to the indians ordinarily since the beginning of this season of grace have lost anything of the power with which they were made unless it were sometimes for want of pertinent expressions in the indian's language which difficulty could not have been much redressed by my personal acquaintance with it. My interpreter had before gained some good degree of doctrinal knowledge, whereby he was capable of understanding and communicating the meaning of my discourses, and that without being obliged to interpret word for word. He had likewise an experimental acquaintance with the divine things, and it pleased God at this season, to inspire his mind with longing desires for the conversion of the Indians, and to give him admirable zeal and fervency in addressing them. And it is remarkable that when I was favored with any special assistance and enabled to speak with more than common freedom, fervency, and power, he was usually affected in the same manner almost instantaneously, and seemed at once quickened and enabled to speak in the same pathetic language and under the same influence that I did. And a surprising energy often accompanied the word at such seasons, so that the face of the whole assembly would be apparently changed almost in an instant, and tears and sobs became common among them. He likewise took pains, day and night, to repeat and inculcate upon the minds of the Indians the truths that I taught them daily, and this not from spiritual pride, but from a spirit of faithfulness and an honest concern for their souls. And thus God has manifested that without bestowing on me the gift of tongues, he could find a way wherein I might be effectually enabled to convey the truths of his glorious gospel to the minds of these poor, benighted pagans. Lastly, the effects of this work have been very remarkable. I doubt not, but that many of these people have gained more knowledge of divine truths since June last than could have been instilled into their minds by the most diligent use of proper means for whole years together, Without such a divine influence, their pagan notions and idolatrous practices seem to be entirely abandoned. They are regularly disposed in the affairs of marriage, an instance whereof I have given in my journal of August 14th. They seem generally divorced from drunkenness, their darling vice, and the quote, sin that easily besets them. End quote. So that I do not know of more than two or three who have been my steady hearers that have drank to excess since I first visited them, although before it was common for some or other of them to be drunk almost every day. And some of them seem now to fear this sin in particular more than death itself. A principle of honesty and justice appears in many of them, and they seem concerned to discharge their old debts, which they have neglected, and perhaps scarce thought of for years past. Their manner of living is much more decent and comfortable than formerly. Love reigns among them, especially those who have experienced a real change. And I never saw any appearance of bitterness or censoriousness, nor any disposition to, quote, esteem themselves better than others, quote. As their sorrows under conviction have been great and pressing, so many of them have since appeared to rejoice with joy unspeakable. And yet their consolations do not incline them to lightness, but are attended with solemnity and with tears, and brokenness of heart. And in this respect some of them have been surprised at themselves, and have with concern observed to me, that when their hearts have been glad, they could not help crying for all. Upon the whole, here are all the evidences of a remarkable work of grace that can reasonably be looked for. May the great author maintain and promote the same here, and propagate it everywhere, till, quote, the whole earth be filled with his glory, end I have now rode more than 3,000 miles since the beginning of March last, and almost the whole of it has been in my own business as a missionary, upon the designs of propagating Christian knowledge among the Indians. I have taken pains to look out for a colleague or companion to travel with me, but have not as yet found any person qualified and disposed for this good work as these poor pagans stood in need of having quote, line upon line and precept upon precept quote, in order to their being grounded in the principles of christianity so i preached publicly and taught from house to house almost every day for whole weeks together and my public discourses did not then make up the one half of my work while there were so many constantly coming to me with that important inquiry what must we do to be saved and yet i can say to the praise of god that the success with which my labors were crowned unspeakably more than compensated for the labor itself, and was likewise a great means of carrying me through the business and fatigues which my nature would have sunk under, without such an encouraging prospect. But although this success has afforded matter of support, comfort, and thankfulness, yet in this season I have found great need of assistance in my work of one to bear a part of my labors and hardships." May the Lord of the Harvest send forth other laborers into this part of his harvest, that those who sit in darkness may see a great light, and that the whole earth may be filled with the knowledge of himself. November 5th. He left the Indians and spent the remaining part of this week in traveling to various parts of New Jersey in order to make a collection for the use of the Indians and to obtain a schoolmaster to instruct them. Lord's Day, November 10th, at Elizabethtown. I preached in the forenoon from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. God was pleased to give me freedom and fervency, and the presence of God seemed to be in the assembly. Numbers were affected, and there were many tears among them. In the afternoon, I preached from Luke chapter 14, verse 32, quote, yet there is room, end quote. I was favored with divine assistance in the first prayer and poured out my soul to God with a filial temper. The living God assisted me in the sermon. Fifteenth. I could not cross the ferry by reason of the violence of the wind, nor could I enjoy any place of retirement at the ferry house. Yet God gave me some satisfaction in meditation and lifting up my heart to him in the midst of company. And although some were drinking and talking profanely, yet my mind was calm and composed. And I could not but bless God that I was not like to spend an eternity in such company. Sixteenth. I crossed the ferry about ten o'clock, arrived at Elizabethtown near night. I was in a composed frame of mind and felt an entire resignation with respect to a loss I had lately sustained in having my horse stolen from me the last Wednesday night. 22nd. I rode to Mr. Tennant's and from thence to Crossweeksung. Oh, that I could fill up all my time, whether in the house or by the way, for God. I was enabled this day to give up my soul to God and to put all my concerns into his hands and found real consolation in the thought of being entirely at his disposal having no will or interest of my own. I have received my all from God. Oh, that I could return my all to him. Surely God is worthy of my highest affection and most devout adoration. He is infinitely worthy that I should make him my last end and live forever to him. Oh, that I might never more, in any one instance live to myself. Lord's Day, November 24th. I preached from the story of Zacchaeus. When I insisted upon the salvation that comes to the sinner, upon his becoming a true believer, the word seemed to be attended with the divine power. Numbers were much affected, former convictions were revived, one or two persons newly awakened, and a most affectionate engagement in divine service appeared among them universally. 26th. I was favored with freedom and fervency in my discourse. Many wept and sobbed affectionately, and scarce any appeared unconcerned in the whole assembly. The influence that seized the audience appeared gentle and yet deeply affected the heart. It excited in the persons under conviction of their lost state, heavy groans and tears, and in others who had obtained comfort, a sweet and humble melting. It seemed like the gentle but steady showers that effectually water the earth. The persons lately awakened were deeply distressed and appeared earnestly solicitous to obtain an interest in Christ. And some of them, in anguish of the Spirit, said, Quote, they knew not what to do, nor how to get their wicked hearts changed twenty eighth after public service was over, I asked one of the Indians who wept most affectionately what she now wanted. She replied, "Oh, to be with Christ! She did not know how to stay." This was a blessed, refreshing season to the religious people in general. The Lord Jesus Christ seemed to manifest his divine glory to them as when transfigured before his disciples, and they were ready universally to say. Quote, Lord, it is good for us to be here. End quote. The influence of God's word was not confined to those who had given evidences of being truly gracious, though I calculated my discourse for and directed it chiefly to such, but it appeared to be a season of divine power in the whole assembly, so that most were in some measure affected, and one aged man in particular, lately awakened, was now brought under deep and pressing concern, and was earnestly inquisitive how he might find jesus christ god seems still to vouchsafe the influence of his blessed spirit in all our meetings for divine worship thirtieth i explained the story of the rich man and lazarus luke chapter sixteen verse nineteen the word made powerful impressions upon many especially while i discoursed of the blessedness of quote, lazarus in abraham's bosom end quote. this i could perceive affected them much more than when i spoke of the rich man's torments and thus it has been usually with them. They have appeared much more effective with the comfortable than the dreadful truths of God's word, and that which has distressed many of them under convictions is that they wanted, and could not obtain, the happiness of the godly. They have often appeared to be more affected with this than with the terrors of hell. But whatever be the means of their awakening, it is plain numbers are made deeply sensible of their sin and misery the wickedness of their own hearts, their utter inability to help themselves or come to Christ for help without divine assistance. Lord's Day December first. I gave them particular cautions and directions relating to their conduct in diverse respects, and pressed them to watchfulness in all their deportment, seeing they were encompassed with those that waited for their halting, and who stood ready to draw them into temptations of every kind and then expose religion on their account. Ninth I spent most of the day in procuring provisions in order to my setting up housekeeping among the Indians. Tenth, I was engaged in the same business as yesterday. Towards night, I got into my own house. Footnote: This is the third house that he built to dwell in by himself among the Indians. The first in Conomink, in the county of Albany; the second at the Forks of Delaware in Pennsylvania; and now this at Crosswicksung in New Jersey. End footnote. Twelfth. I preached from the parable of the ten virgins. The divine power seemed to attend this discourse in which I was favored with uncommon freedom and plainness of address, and enabled to open divine truths in a manner beyond myself. There appeared in many an affectionate concern for their souls, and it was refreshing to see them melted into tears, some with a sense of divine love and some for want of it. Lord's Day, 15th. I preached to the Indians from Luke chapter 13, verses 24 and 28. Divine truths fell with weight upon the audience. Near night, I discoursed to them again from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, at which season also the word appeared to be accompanied with divine influence and made powerful impressions upon the assembly in general, as well as upon diverse persons in a very particular manner. This was an amazing season of grace. The word of the Lord was quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. The assembly was deeply wrought upon, and the impressions made by the word of God appeared solid and rational, worthy of the solemn truths by means of which they were produced. Oh, how did the hearts of the hearers seem to bow under the weight of divine truth, and how evident did it now appear that they received and felt them, quote, not as the word of man, but as the word of God, Sixteenth. There was much affection and concern in the assembly, especially one woman appeared in great distress. She was brought to such an agony in seeking after Christ that the sweat ran off her face for a considerable time, although the evening was very cold and her bitter cries were the most affecting indication of the inward anguish of her heart. 21st. My people having now attained to a considerable degree of knowledge in the principles of Christianity, I thought it proper to set up a catechetical lecture and this evening attempted something in that form, proposing questions to them, receiving their answers, and explaining as appeared proper upon each question, after which I endeavored to make some practical improvement of the whole. They were able, readily and rationally, to answer many important questions, so that I found their knowledge to exceed my expectations. In the improvement of my discourse, when I came to open the blessedness of those who have so great and glorious a God, as had been spoken of, quote, for their everlasting friend and portion, quote, sundry were much affected, and especially when I exhorted them to be reconciled to God through his dear Son, and thus to secure an interest in his everlasting favor. Lord's Day, 22nd. A Discourse Upon the Story of the Young Man in the Gospel, Matthew, chapter 9, verse 16. God made it a seasonable word to some souls. After my labors with the Indians, I spent some time in writing and was much wearied with the labors of the day. I am conscious that my labors are as great and constant as my nature will bear, and that ordinarily I go to the extent of my strength, so that I do all I can, but the misery is I do not labor with the heavenly temper, that single eye to the glory of God that I long for. There were sundry persons of the Indians newly come here who had frequently lived among Quakers, And being more civilized than the generality of the Indians, they had imbibed some of the Quakers' principles, especially this, that if men would but live according to the dictates of their own consciences, or the light within, there is no doubt of their salvation. These persons I found much worse to deal with than those who are wholly under pagan darkness, who make no pretenses to knowledge in Christianity, nor have any self-righteous foundation to stand upon. However, they all except one appeared now convinced that this was not sufficient to salvation, since Christ himself had declared it so in the case of the young man, and seemed in some measure concerned to obtain that change of heart which I had been laboring to show them the necessity of. This was likewise a season of comfort to some souls, and in particular to one who never before obtained any settled comfort. When I came to inquire of her how she got relief from the distresses she had lately been under, she answered in broken English. Footnote. In proper English, thus, I tried and tried to save myself till at last my strength was all gone and I could not stir any further. Then at last I was forced to let Jesus Christ alone to send me to hell if he pleased. End footnote. Me try, me try, save myself, last my strength be all gone meaning her ability to save herself, could not me stir a bit further. Den last me forced, let Jesus Christ alone, send me hell if he please. I said, but you was not willing to go to hell, was you? She replied, footnote, in plain English, thus, I could not help it, my heart would be wicked for all I could do. I could not make it good, end footnote. Could not me help it, me heart he would be wicked for all. Could not, not me, make him good? I asked her how she got out of this case. She answered still in the same broken language, footnote, By and by my heart was exceedingly glad. My heart was glad that Jesus Christ would do with me what he pleased. Then I thought my heart would be glad, although Christ should send me to hell. I did not care where he put me. I should love him for all, i.e., do what he would with me. End footnote. Bye-bye, my heart, be glad desperately. I asked her why her heart was glad. She replied, Glad my heart, Jesus Christ, do what you please with me. Den me tink, glad my heart, Jesus Christ, send me to hell. Did not me care where he put me, me love for him all. And she could not readily be convinced, but that she was willing to go to hell if Christ was pleased to send her there though the truth evidently was her will was so swallowed up in the divine will that she could not frame any hell in her imagination that would be dreadful, provided it was the will of God to send her to it. Twenty fifth, The Indians have been used upon Christmas days to drink and revel among the white people. I thought proper to call them together and discourse to them upon divine things, which I accordingly did from the parable of the barren fig tree, Luke chapter 13, verse 6. The power of God appeared in the assembly by awakening several stupid creatures that were scarce ever moved with any concern before. The impressions made upon the assembly in general seemed not superficial, but deep and heart affecting. Oh, how ready did they appear to comply with everything they were convinced was their duty. God was in the midst of us, a truth bowing and melting stubborn hearts. How many tears and sobs were then to be seen and heard among us. What liveliness and strict attention what eagerness and intenseness of mind they seem to watch and wait for the dropping of god's word as the thirsty earth for the former and latter rain end end of chapter seven part two